Well, it's a joy to be with you this morning. Thanks for inviting us to serve you through bringing this series of messages uh, beginning today. Uh, I'd like to first of all introduce my good friend, Dr. Dan Reinhardt. I don't know if uh, you've ever seen two people try to co-preach a message or a series of messages before now. Dan and I have been friends for over 20 years and we bring to the series a common commitment relying on scripture to guide us through these eight messages. This will be a team effort, and I'm very grateful for this team arrangement that we have here. So, Dan, I'm thinking the name of this series, which is Let's Break the Rules, may be a little unusual for some folks watching us. They may be wondering, why would we ever use a label like this to describe a series of Sunday morning messages? Yeah, sounds a little rebellious, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's break <laughs> the rules. <laughs> Well, it actually comes out of a message that you, Dan, gave a few weeks ago, your life story about the rules that you grew up under and you found so life-draining. And uh, in fact, if any of you viewers have not seen that message, you really need to go back and see it because it's out of that story that this series is coming. And so you, you really do need it to go and hear that. And here are the six rules that Dan mentioned in his message. It's uh, don't talk, don't feel, don't trust, don't think, don't choose, don't change. And those are the six rules that he has been working out of his life. And out of that story is going to come this, this series. Now, I just want to assure all of you that both Dan and I uh, have a very high view of Scripture. In fact, it is the source of truth for us. And the scripture tells us that it's been inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in right living. It's a very practical book. In fact, that uh, word instruction means God breathed. And when the breath of God is his life, and so his life is in these scriptures that comes through the pens of the people who authored it. And it's, it's the source of, of God's revelation to us. And so we're going to be using the scriptures, but Dan, there's a couple ways that people use the scriptures in preaching. So uh, how are you planning to do it? Well, people study their Bibles in different ways. Maybe it would be good for us to review uh, what, what the basics of the Bible are all about. Uh, most of us are aware the Bible has 66 books written by 40 men over the course of 1600 years. Two-thirds of the Bible written, is written with the, the genre of story. There are actually 550 different stories in Scripture, but the Bible is really one story. It's the story of redemption. Throughout this story of redemption, God is giving us 550 stories with life lessons on how he wants us to live. So there are two ways that Dan and I could preach this series of messages, I think. We could find a passage of scripture and just explain it, illustrate it, and apply it for 30 minutes. And this would work, but this series is topical in nature. So it would be more appropriate, probably, if in every message we took a walk from Genesis to Revelation, capturing a few verses from the Old, Old Testament, New Testament, to understand what God wants us to know about the topic that we're speaking on each Sunday. This may feel like we're looking at scripture from the vantage point of a helicopter ride, but it can help us understand our Bibles better, help us understand God, understand ourselves, understand problems, solutions, in a way that could help us to apply 
is true to our lives more diligently. So I'm wondering, what rules do you, did you have in your home of origin? Most of us had stated rules and unstated rules. The stated ones in my home of origin at the top of this were number one, don't throw stones, and number two, don't ride your bicycle in the street. Um, and these types of rules were obviously for my good, so I would live a long life without hurting myself or others. Have you ever wondered what God says about rules throughout scripture? Let's talk about this for the next few minutes. The very first rule shows up in Genesis chapter 2, and we invite you to open your Bible to Genesis 2. God gives Adam his first tour of, of the Garden of Eden, telling him in verse 16, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So it's the first time the word not appears in scripture. God says, I'm giving this rule for you to stay living. The moment you eat from this tree, you will start to die. Why would God tell Adam that? Because Adam needed a reminder, a symbol of God's lordship over Adam. And that tree was the symbol. As long as that tree stood with its fruit untouched, Adam was acknowledging God was ruler over him. God had every right to establish this rule because God made Adam. So into this beautiful garden steps a serpent, and he begins to talk to Eve and says, ah, did God really say this? Actually, you know, if you would eat of this tree, you would be wise. You'd be like God. And um, Eve looks at the tree, and it had, the fruit looks good to eating. And uh, she wanted to be wise. It was a good idea. Like she wanted this wisdom that the serpent was whispering to her. And he was whispering this, that God is hiding something from you. He's keeping you from the good life. So just bite into it, and you'll find out what it's really like to live. And Adam's standing right there and he doesn't do a thing to stop her. They both bite into the fruit and they both begin to recognize that the death has come. And this is the beginning of our whole problem throughout the scripture and throughout human history. And we're gonna talk about that in future messages, but boy, that sets the tone, Dan, right there. God says, don't do this, and we do. Now we've got issues. Well, turn in your Bible to uh, over to Exodus. Fast forward to another era in the biblical story of redemption. Exodus chapter 20. Um, God decides to raise up a nation of unique people for the purpose of spreading the good news of his redemption to the entire world. The story starts in Genesis 12 with God calling Abraham as the father of this nation. A couple of hundred years later, the people of Israel become slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They are so beaten down with no self-identity. Then God raises up Moses to lead the people out of slavery to the promised land. Pharaoh is in no hurry to free his slaves. But after a series of plagues from God, Pharaoh finally tells the Israels, get out of here. You're no longer slaves. Please leave. So they start their journey toward the promised land. On their way, they spend several weeks camping out. 
at the base of Mount Sinai. After 400 years of living their lives of slaves, they obviously need to start from first base to figure out what is their new culture of freedom going to look like. So God, in his great wisdom, gives them 10 big rules they need to live by. We know them as the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, we'll start referencing verses 3 to 17. So take a look in your Bible and look at Exodus chapter 20. You'll notice that these slaves were needing to know how to live. And so God gives 10 big rules. And it's really talking about what is sacred, what is there. Verse 3, God says, my very being is sacred. So don't have any other gods. There's only one real God, so don't worship fake ones. And then verse 4, worshiping me is sacred, so don't make any other idols. To be worshipped as the eternal great spirit, worship me. And then verse 7, my name is sacred, and I've put my name on you, so don't bear my name in vain. Don't bring disrespect to my name. You're my people. Verse 8, my day is sacred. So keep the Sabbath day holy, different from the rest of the week. Quit working. Rest. I'll take care of you. Verse 12, family is sacred. Honor your parents. 13, life is sacred. So don't murder. Every person, every person should have the right to life. Verse 14, marriage is sacred. So don't commit adultery. Protect your marriage vow. Property rights are sacred. Don't steal. Respect for people includes respect for their property. Truth is sacred, so don't lie. Respect for people includes their reputation. Thoughts are sacred, so don't covet. Respect for people begins in your hearts. Boy, Dan, these are 10 really all-encompassing rules. In fact, these 10 principles of life uh, have become the basis of civilization for numbers of countries. And God takes these 10 basic things, or I should say Moses uh, takes these 10 commandments, and he applies them in different ways throughout the rest of the books of uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. And we find out that there, it's, it's, a, it's a blueprint for good living. And Israel was intended to be a nation that would live by these life-giving rules that would make them exemplary and a witness to the rest of the world of how you can live when you live according to God's ways. Wow. So maybe you're wondering, did God actually think that his people would keep all these rules? No. He knew they wouldn't. God gave his rules so people would not trust in themselves, but in his mercy and grace to save them. This is the reason for the tabernacle and the system of sacrifices from Exodus 25 to the end of the book. It's a beautiful symbol of the salvation that Jesus Christ provides for us through the cross. So we invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. By the time the nation of Israel arrives at the promised land 40 years after the Sinai campout, Everyone who had heard God's 10 big rules at Mount Sinai had died. So the new generation needs to hear these rules in a formal way for the first time. That's the book of Deuteronomy, which means second law. Um, in chapter 5, Moses lists out the 10 big rules. In chapter 6, he declares what becomes the most well-known verses among 
Jewish people and Bible days, beginning with verse 4. Read along. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Um, you know, good rules applied in a wrong way can be very negative. And here's where we begin to see a problem around rule keeping. Reading this passage reminds me of when I was five years old, my dad nailed a two foot square sign on the side of our house facing the street that declared in big letters, ye must be born again. I remember dad pounding the nails and walking into the house after it was hung on the side of the house. And he said, this sign would probably keep certain people away. And he said it with a tone that this would be a good thing, that this is how we could remain separate from the world. Wow. Wow, isn't that an interesting story? Uh, doing the right thing, but sending a very wrong message. <laughs> wow, very good. So, you know, this command here in Deuteronomy is clearly indicating that it's love for God that is the controlling factor upon which we have to do our whole life. The problem is that over time, we can begin to mistake that what was meant for the heart is no longer true in the heart. And it can slip to just outside um, uh, behaviors, becoming a way to look spiritual without actually being spiritual. And uh, the people of Israel literally did follow this saying, and they took the scriptures and cut them into little pieces and put them in little boxes and put it right on their head, literally, and on their arm, and they put it on the doorway of their house because they're really trying they're trying to live the command exactly the way God says. But this brings to the surface a big issue around rules. When God gives rules or commands, he intends them to be life-giving. They point toward life in God. They describe what a good life with God looks like. But if we get all focused around the rules and not on the life in God, the very thing that was intended to bring life brings darkness. And to increase our spirituality, we think that rules are the life with God. And if that's true, then if you just increase the number of rules and the strictness of the rules, that will be increasing your godliness, right? Our strict rule keeping then proves to people how holy we actually are. And the rules then can become a standard by which we can compare ourselves with other people and we can measure them. And then they can become a stick by which we can judge. We can quote the verse and bop. We can knock someone for how they're not being holy. Wow, this is a problem. Dan, it occurs to me there's two kinds of man's rules. There's the outward rebellion type then there's the type we're talking about in this message, the rules that we make 
in our best effort to follow God. So turn your Bibles to Isaiah 29. Joshua leads the nation of Israel to possess the promised land, but things begin falling apart. The kingdom of, of Israel splits throughout these several hundred years of mostly rebelling against God. There was a strong pattern of spiritual blindness. These people thought they were keeping the rules, but prophets like Isaiah continually hammer home the message from God, such as chapter 29, verse 13. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made only of rules taught by men. Folks, this is serious. Yep. When we think keeping the rules is the matter of the heart. Flip forward a few pages to Hosea chapter 6. Israel's looking for assurance that they were good enough for God to accept. The prophet Hosea in chapter 6 and verse 6 quotes God. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What's he saying? He's saying, I want relationship with you, not compliance to rules. They try to be godly, but they completely miss the point. They mistake the picture for the person with whom they were supposed to be relating. They mistake the rules for the relationship. They live the list instead of the life, instead of the transformed life God wants for them. Well, you know, talk about missing the point. And when I thought about that, I was reminded that one of the words for sin in the New Testament is harmatia. It's a Greek word, which means missing the mark or not hitting the target. It's possible, folks, to be taking the very rules of God and miss the point. <laughs> in fact, this is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He declares, you want to turn in your Bibles. You want to look at this one. Matthew 5, he really, he really nails this issue right there. He says, you say this, but I say that. For example, he said, you say, don't murder. But I say, don't even have hatred in your heart. You say, don't commit adultery. I say, if you lust, you've already committed adultery. What was Jesus saying here? He's telling his audience on this hill in front of him, that you can keep the letter of the law, all God's rules, and have the appearance of living for him, and inside your heart is still dark. This is missing the point. This is harmatia. And it's not just true of people in the New Testament. It's true of us, folks. We can have the appearance of loving God by keeping rules, and yet there can be darkness within. We can talk the talk, but maybe not walk the walk. And in order to walk the talk, our hearts have got to connect to God, and he's got to do a work of transformation inside. And then that has to show up in how we relate to other people around us. When our faith becomes a list of rules or behavioral modification things, we can think we look good, but God knows what's going on in the heart. And this, folks, is a real problem. Um, take your Bible and turn to Matthew 22. 
just before Jesus goes to the cross, a Pharisee scholar comes to him with a trick question. Verse 36, Matthew 22, 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, he says. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Well, that answer was an out of the box answer, but these two rules are unmovable corner fence posts. According to Mark 12, 32, which is the same story, this Pharisee responds by telling Jesus, well said teacher, these two rules are more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Wow, the lights are starting to come on in his heart. Jesus then responds with, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, the Pharisees decide to stop asking Jesus any more questions because he is answering questions like no one has ever done. The questioner was very close to relating to Jesus as his savior from sin. Well, you know, Dan, when I keep reading the New Testament and I come to Matthew chapter 23, this is the scariest chapter in the Bible for me. And it really hit me uh, quite a few years ago when I was studying in Israel and I was studying the context of the Bible and it talked about the, the different kind of groups that were there in Israel at the time of Jesus. And so I thought to myself, well, if I was living in Israel in the time of Jesus, what group would I sign up for? Well, there were basically three groups. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sicarii. Those are the three main groups. The last group were called Sicarii because these were the terrorists of their day. They carried little daggers around. They hid in their coat that were called the dagger, the Greek word for dagger. So they were called the dagger people because they would slip into a crowd and they would murder Romans or any sympathizing Jew. Well, that wouldn't be me. So, no, I'm not a Sicarii. The Sadducees were people who believed only the Torah. They didn't believe the prophets. They didn't believe anything else, just the five books and the temple worship. And uh, they didn't believe the rest of the Bible. So that would be like modern day people who maybe would say, well, we believe this part of the Bible, but not that. And they just cut out the parts they don't like. No, that wouldn't be me. The Pharisees, however, were the conservative people of their day. They believed the Bible, all of it. They believed the prophets, they believed Torah, and they were the ones who were really serious about fulfilling it. And I thought, yeah, that's the group I would join. Bible believing, living for God, that's the group I would be. And then I read Matthew chapter 23. And he has his harshest words for that group. He says, you're on a fashion show. You talk a good line, but you don't live it. You don't take it into your heart. You don't live it out in your behavior. It's spit and polish veneer. This is a modern translation paraphrase of what we're doing here. You love being on a pedestal. You, you take tithing really serious, right down to tithing the herbs in your garden. But things like compassion and fairness and commitment, you don't deal with that. You're blinded by your ridiculous rules. You are hopeless frauds. Wow. What, a, what an indictment. 
And it's an indictment on people who were actually believing the Bible and trying to live out all the details of the rules. They were missing the point, though. They were harmatia. And they were the ones who ended up crucifying Jesus. Oh, my goodness. But the scripture tells us that the instant he died on the cross, the veil in the temple, the big curtain in the temple, tore in two and opened it up and people could see right into the Holy of Holies. And the, the writer of Hebrews tells us what this symbolized. He says, just like a will that takes effect when someone dies, so this new covenant that Christ was bringing of having direct access to God right through his grace was activated. And it replaced all the covenant of rules and obligations and sacrifices and offerings. All the rule stuff is replaced with his direct grace. Jesus is buried, rises from the dead three days later, having conquered death. And the death is the consequences of harmatia. It's the consequences of missing the point. He takes that consequence, absorbs it, and he returns to heaven, giving his disciples the mandate to share good news that this relationship with him is not about keeping rules, but it's about a loving relationship with him and with others. Wow, what a story. What a gospel. Well, Dan, let's be candid. When men and women get their hands on religion, one of the first things they often do is turn it into an instrument of controlling others. Yeah. The stories of religious manipulation throughout church history are long and painful. Paul of Tarsus does his very best to add another chapter to this dreadful history when he was converted to following Jesus. Paul discovers that God was not an impersonal force to be used to force people to behave in certain prescribed ways, but God, through Jesus, was a personal Savior who wants to set us free to live a free life. Amen. God does not coerce us from without, but he sets us free from within. So Paul radically changed from persecuting the church to planting churches, inviting everyone he met into this free life. In his early travels, he founded a series of churches in Galatia. A few years later, he gets word that some of the old school church leaders were calling his authority into question. And they were introducing the old ways, hurting all these freedom-loving believers back into the corral of religious rules and regulations. Paul is furious with the old guard for coming in with their strong-armed Bible bat tactics and intimidating the believers into giving up their free life in Jesus. And he's also furious with the Christians for caving into the intimidation. His letter to the Galatian church uh, helps them and us recover the original freedom. So let's try and summarize. What are we trying to get at here? Let's start again. God wanted a real relationship with human beings. So when he created Adam and Eve and all of us since then, he endowed us all with an amazing gift, free will. Because he wanted a relationship with humankind. And in order for a relationship to, have, to be one of love, there has to be a real person to love. So this gift of personhood and free will was the only way he could actually have a real relationship with us. 
Now, the risk with that is that we might choose to say no. And we did. We said no. And we have taken his commands or his rules that were meant to guide us into life, and we've mistaken. We've mistaken his intention. Either we think, oh, he's holding out on us, and we, we just need to take what we want, or we, we get focused on these rules so much that we begin to think that the relationship is the rules. And either way, we don't end up with a loving relationship with God. And making up more rules and being more strict about them does not fix it. So this series that we're doing is not about breaking God's rules. It's about how to break free from our rules that we've put in place, these ways, these wrong ways of relating to God and other people that are ruining our life. We need to break those relationships. Now, Jesus declares that ground zero is this. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about relationships, friends. And Israel's big mistake of mistaking rules for relationship is the same mistake that people have been falling into ever since. Well, I can tell you, Dan, for myself, uh, without question, I was raised to be the best rule keeper I could possibly be. I started handing out gospel tracts to my friends in grade three. Uh, I knew how to keep my hair combed just right, how to smile all the time. I loved underlining verses in my Bible because that's what dad did. And I sure wanted to strive to look as spiritual as him. I wondered why my Christian friends didn't come to my church because my church certainly had a corner on the truth since my pastor preached salvation messages every Sunday. Pretending I never struggled was considerably more important than being honest with myself and with Jesus about my struggles. If my relationship with Jesus in my youth would have been tighter, it would have showed itself in having a whole lot more respect for my siblings. In retrospect, I knew I was the favorite child in my family, and I so deeply regret the maneuvering I did with my parents to keep it that way. It wasn't until uh, I was several years into being a husband and a father before I started to honestly grasp what relationship, what real relationship with the, was about with Jesus, with my wife, with my family, with everybody else. My journey of learning how to talk and feel and trust and think and choose and change continues to this very day. And I never want my learning journey to stop. Well, Dan, let's be honest. Every one of us have fallen into this trap. It is the sin of humankind. I did too. When I was younger, I really wanted to please God. And so I tried to be the person that would please God. And I tried to live by the rules. And I was very focused on finding out what was right, what was wrong. And I had very definite ideas, and my thinking was black and white. And the more convinced I was that I was right, the harder my attitude got. I definitely knew who was in, who was out. And I could tell whether they were doing the expected behaviors, if they were in or out. Well, if anyone smoked or drank, they were definitely out. God would never use someone like that. And then 
in my Bible school days, I found out that some of the best Christian writers smoked a pipe. And for the beginning, uh, that's when things began to unravel for me. And I began to realize, ooh, maybe my list of rules are actually not congruent with actual life. I also noticed that some of the saints of the Bible were breaking the rules. King David sure broke the don't dance rule. <laughs> and yet he was called a man after God's own heart. And then in the New Testament, there was Peter, who was a man who was dedicated to serve God. And in a vision, he saw the sheet come down from heaven with all these unclean animals in it. And he was told, the voice from heaven said, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter was horrified. These were rules that Jews had kept for centuries. They would never eat this thing. And yet God was directing him to break those rules. And you know, even though kosher rules are not on my list, they were a big deal in the New Testament days. In fact, it almost split the church. Look in your Bible at Acts chapter 17. Their conclusion when they went through this big debate, all those Old Testament Jewish rules no longer applied to Gentile believers. Wow, you talk about letting go a list of rules. And you know, Dan, the longer I have lived, the more I have I've found out that life is not as simple as a list of rules. Life is not all black and white. There's gray stuff. In fact, wisdom is knowing how to make decisions in the midst of some of these uncertain things. And I've quit judging people. I've come to recognize that outward behaviors are no sure indicator of what's going on inside. In fact, it all really does boil down to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, and love my neighbor as myself. That actually is how it really works. Well, um, we don't know where you are at in this journey, understanding the difference between rules-based faith and relationship with Jesus. It's possible you are watching this message and you've never come to the place of starting a relationship with God's son. Jesus, the God-man, came to this earth as a baby to live and die as the final sacrifice to pay the debt for our sin. We don't relate to God as if he's a concept or a philosophy or a religion or a set of behaviors. Becoming a member of God's family starts with a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus offers us life, his life. Are you thirsty for life, for the free gift of the water of life? The last chapter of God's word, Revelation 22, Jesus says, come. Whoever is thirsty for a relationship with God, come to Jesus. He will never turn you away. Please pray with me. Our Father God, open our eyes to these truths from your word and teach us how to break the rules that keep us from a better relationship with you and with others around us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is just the beginning of what we are hoping will be a helpful series where we, we get into this really important issue of mistaking rules for relationship. And we're going to show you uh, how this shows up in, in real life in a series of six or seven messages. And Dan uh, is the one that's really got this clear from his own life experience. 
So uh, we're really grateful for Dan, for your transparency to help us through your story to find out how we might improve our own stories. And Dan, if there's, if there's some way that people could dive even deeper into this, what, what would you recommend? Well, I would recommend this book that I read years ago called More Jesus, Less Religion, Moving from Rules to Relationship by Stephen Arterburn and Jack Felton. Yeah, just More, hold it up so we can all take a good look. Yeah, there it is. More Jesus, Less Religion. Okay. It's you want to do excellent. a deep dive? There you go. Excellent. 